Welcome to the Your Own Medicine podcast. Thank you for listening. My name is Callie Klug and I am a yoga teacher and somatic practitioner in Southern California. A Your Own Medicine podcast was really created with this idea and this intention of bringing knowledge to you to access the medicine within you and within your own body. So thank you for listening. Let's go. Welcome, Dr. Weber, to the um, Your Own Medicine podcast. So why don't you open up? So Dr. Weber is a uh, psychologist and coach that specializes in narcissistic abuse and recovery. So just to begin, why don't you orient people um, that are listening around who you are, what kind of work you do, and kind of the clients that you tend to work with in your coaching? Sure. So uh, yeah, I'm a a licensed clinical psychologist in um, Newport, and I have a wide range of patients, you know, anywhere from, uh, I mean, it's typically anxiety, depression, you know, panic attacks, some OCD, but really the biggest thing that I get in my practice is just somebody is just kind of at this place in their life where they're like, this is not working. I'm in so much pain or, you know, transition, going through a divorce, and they just kind of need some, um, uh, you know, tools and strategies to move past that. Uh, I do a lot of trauma work too for uh, some patients. And then I do some psychological testing. Um, I'm, you know, mainly just to give a differential in a diagnosis. Like if somebody comes to me and says they're, you know, coming to me for anxiety. And then after I'm seeing them, I'm thinking maybe it might be underlying ADHD is the, you know, issue. And so I'll do like a few tests on them to clarify that. And then in my coaching, which I launched about a year ago, I'm loving it. Um, I work with uh, primarily women, although I've had a a few men, but (laughs) primarily women who have left a narcissistic relationship. Um, A lot of them have kids. I mean, these are women anywhere from probably, you know, 28 to 16. And so some of them are still in the relationship and they're wanting to leave. I would say the majority of them have already left and they're dealing with like the aftermath and, you know, um, post-separation abuse and just all of that. So I kind of help them to all of the healing, you know, trauma work, um, um, I mean, there's just so much, (laughs) there's so much (laughs) in the aftermath of an abusive relationship like this. And then dealing with problems with, you know, kids, custody arrangements, you know, the ex is still abusive to the kids, you know, dealing, there's just a lot. So having a sounding board of someone who has been through it themselves and is knowledgeable, you know, um, to kind of hold your hand through this process is so incredibly helpful and meaningful and healing. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, it's probably so helpful to have someone to get validation from in those moments too. Cause I know like narcissistic abuse, they break you down and they create a lot of self-doubt. So having someone to like validate the reality of what's happening is probably a godsend for a lot of your clients. Absolutely. I mean, it is so healing in itself on, you know, on a lot of levels just to have somebody who 
understands and gets it and can identify things, you know, when you're able to identify certain things, then it kind of puts things into perspective better where it's clear to look at it. Um, but I think the personal experience is really huge in this particular area. I notice mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of psychologists out there who, you know, I just hear it, it actually really angers me to be quite frank when I have clients come to me and they tell me things that their therapist tells them. And I'm just like, no, 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 <laughs> that is not correct. I mean, it can actually be um, more gaslighting, mm-hmm. more victimization, um, blaming. It's absolutely terrible, terrible advice sometimes I've heard. Horrific. Why story. do you think that happens? Like, like how how is that so common where there's do you think it's just like a protocol that therapists are told to follow and they hear about something or like I don't understand what happens there you know where someone's saying oh someone did this to me or this is happening and a therapist's like well (laughs) maybe it's you or like you know what I mean well and and I think for a lot of you know therapists this is a newer birth of this abuse. You know, this has not really been around. I mean, this has been around for a long time, but there's more um, uh, information out there now. And so there's a lot of clinicians that are just not knowledgeable about it. They actually really don't get it. So I noticed this split that there's therapists who, they could be wonderful therapists for most of their patients, but when they get somebody with narcissistic abuse history or narcissism in their family, they just don't get it because they're trying to apply the same tools and it doesn't work because you actually have to remove yourself from that mindset. It's not going to work. So what might work for probably 90% of the people out there when you're dealing with this type of abuse or they're in a marriage like this, those tools are not going to work. So like, for example, I had somebody recently, um, she is, um, she just left and I guess she was seeing this counselor and, you know, her, um, ex-husband who, you know, was incredibly just, you know, aggressive, you know, would blame her rageful and all of this. And so she was suggesting, you know, have you ever tried using like I statements before you express a need? Like, you know, I'm really needing more acknowledgement. I'm really needing more, you know, connection, love, you know, whatever it is. And I was like, oh my God, that is terrible advice. So she was like, yeah, you know, I noticed whenever I was saying that, like he would get madder at me and then he would, you know, use whatever need she was expressing or need, you know, or want, you know, or, um, or emotion. And of course, flip it back on her and use it against her and exploit her. Then she was needy. You're just so insecure. See, you said it yourself. This oh is what you need. God. And so I'm just, I don't know. It it's a whole nother um podcast, my frustration with mental health. <laughs> yeah, literally. I'm like maybe just don't take on these cl- these patients if yeah. you because these tools that you're trying to apply for a normal marriage, yes, mm-hmm. that would work. Use I statements, be very clear about your needs or emotions, be clear about what you're needing from the other person. They're not normal though. And so everything is going to be different in how you approach things. 
And what character, yeah, what characterizes narcissistic abuse and like then, I don't know, nor I don't even want to say like normal abuse, but what is like a characteristic of narcissistic abuse that sets it apart from anything else or like even a normal, healthy relationship? Well, I think what, you know, sets it up apart from, you know, there's, you know, physical abuse, there's emotional, Mm -hmm. verbal, um, sexual abuse, and psychological abuse. And narcissists aren't typically physically abusive, um, for whatever reason, which it kind of seems a bit surprising, because they're so angry and rageful. But they, it's not as common to find a narcissist who's physically abusive to their spouse. But the emotional, the verbal, and the psychological abuse is what encompasses the narcissistic abuse. It's like, and and I I feel that it's actually, you know, clinically and, you know, personally, it's way more damaging. Mm. Verbal, emotional, and psychological abuse rather than physical because it's so hard to see it, to notice it, you're confused, you're being gaslit. I mean, there's so many aspects of it. So it's just harder to see that. Um, So not be a narcissist and, you know, maybe just a really angry person or, you know, maybe have addiction. And would you still see this type of um, abuse of maybe, you know, psychological and verbal? Sure. But what really sets it apart is narcissists don't change. Mm -hmm. There's no change. So if somebody actually is maybe going through like recovery of addiction and they're exhibiting these behaviors towards their spouse, well, okay, if you go to therapy and you get treatment and then you're in couples therapy and you kind of work through these, you know, abusive tactics of, you, you know, you know, the like name calling or blaming or um, gaslighting, then for a normal person, you would see improvement or at least a shift or a change. But with narcissists, there's not really any change. It just gets worse because this is who they are. Mm. And how do narcissists like come to be? Because I know there's a difference between as well, like narcissistic personality disorder, like the diagnosable this it's a disorder mm-hmm. and then narcissism or being narcissistic so can you make that that differentiation and then can you also speak on um like like how that plays out in terms of like having a relationship with someone who is actually diagnosed with NPD sure so um that's a great question because I think there's a lot of confusion um, out there. So narcissistic personality disorder and narcissism is essentially the same. Oh. <laughs> it's exactly the oh, same. It is? Okay. So narcissistic personality disorder is a it's a mental disorder and you know it's it's an abnormal personality um, where they exhibit um, I think the definition in the it's been a while, but they exhibit um, aggressive social behaviors. Mm-hmm. um toward other people like in their environment and so for somebody to be diagnosed it has to be with a psychologist you know a psychiatrist um you know of some sort but narcissism 
is actually a way to describe somebody. It's not a, it's not a disorder. It's not a, you know, a diagnosed, it's a way to describe somebody. If, if I were to say, you know, Callie is, you know, um, really generous or, you know, she's kind, it's a way to describe you. So when you use those kinds of words to describe somebody, people already have an, an idea of this list of what it looks like when somebody's generous, they pay for things, you know, they, you know, like show up, they, you know, give love and, um, and so forth. And so in terms of the traits, they're all exactly the same. So calling somebody a narcissist is not diagnosing them. It's a way to describe them. And I think it's really important to, for people to call it out when they see it and not, you know, be fearful of like, oh, I can't diagnose. Oh, I don't know. I have to speak to a professional to, you know, clarify. It's like, you don't need a professional. If you're seeing this behavior <laughs> in somebody and you know what this is and you're able to, you know, identify it, then yeah, that's a narcissist then. And that would be important information for you to know, depending on the relationship, that this is a friend or, you know, a sister or, you know, a husband, ex-husband, um, mm. to identify that. Do you feel like people have a hard time because a lot of times narcissistic abuse and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it happens with people that you trust a parent, um, a partner, um, so on and so forth, like someone that you have invited or they're in your life in a way where you have a certain kind of bond. Um, so do you find that in your work, it's hard for people to acknowledge or give a label to someone, oh, this person is a narcissist or acting, behaving like a narcissist because they don't want to betray them in that way and like call it for what it is kind of? Mm -hmm. I think, um, and maybe it's just my line of work, but I don't see that as often when it's um, like a family member and they're understanding this, you know, better and they see the tactics and the behavior. Um, I think it is kind of transitioning quite a bit more now where people, I find, and maybe it's just me, they actually are, I think, a bit more comfortable now mm -hmm. um, identifying because then it's like you have a framework of how you're going to deal with this person. And so it's so much better. But, you know, I think um, with spouses, though, when people have been married for a really long time, I find that's kind of harder. Like they, you know, it's like this idea like, oh, that's what he is. That's what, <laughs> that's all of this was narcissism. Are you kidding me? You know? So I think on one aspect, it's like, oh, okay. You know, you're not excited about identifying it, but then it also can be like a relief, <laughs> huge relief. Totally. The more and more you understand this, because then you're like, oh, it's actually him is the problem, not me, because you've been convinced that it's all you. It's yeah. all fault. And even to speak on that too, like, can you talk? Because I feel like that, from what you're saying, like gaslighting is a really key component in narcissistic abuse is like creating that, that and cultivating that self-doubt and not being sure of your own reality. So can you speak to just like the element that gaslighting plays in narcissistic abuse? Oh my gosh. 
huge, huge. They all, just because somebody gaslights somebody does not make them a narcissist. I'm going to say all narcissists use gaslighting mm -hmm. as a tactic. They really, and this kind of goes in the um, realm of like psychopathy where there's like narcissism and like sociopaths and um, psychopaths. They all have to gaslight because what they're trying to do is actually break you down, your self-esteem, your, you know, values, your strengths. They're trying to literally break you down. And that's how they control you is when you feel just so small, your self-esteem is, you know, um, non-existent. And they do this through the criticisms, you know, treating you with contempt, um, belittling, um, callous, you know, where you just feel like you're worth nothing. And then this is where it makes it easier for them to manipulate and control you. But gaslighting is a huge piece of it. And this is another thing that um, for people who, professionals who have not actually personally gone through something like this, I think mm -hmm. it's really hard to give a definition and somebody really get it because I, I mean, me personally, I feel like being gaslit is probably one of the worst things. I can handle a lot, but really not trusting what you see and what you hear and your perception and constantly second guessing yourself to where you just literally lose your mind. You think that what you see and hear and witness is not existing. It's, it's yeah. a, I can't even describe it, like going through it, especially for so many years, you know, it just, it's an awful debilitating um, experience to go through. I mean, it's awful. And all of them do it. I like, I feel like it completely destabilizes your sense of of security because you're like wait if I can't interpret reality correctly like who do I trust I can't even trust myself I guess I I'm outsourcing now my my reality to this person and um, and that's what they want so that's what they want. So they want everything you know and so that's why all of your thoughts emotions your actions your behaviors and everything it's all like manufactured by them, they want you to not trust yourself and not believe and, uh, you know, and second guess, okay, I guess so, because they want you to believe only theirs. So this is where they can get more control and it just gets worse and more abuse. It, it, it's just a terrible thing too. And this is a big piece of the healing that I work with ladies on, because when you feel like you've lost your mind, mm -hmm. I mean, what is worse, you know? And so you have to kind of go back and piece all of that together of, you know, instincts, intuition, you know, being able to, you know, decipher between thoughts, your thoughts, you know, your, like your thoughts coming back in and not his, because that's been ingrained for such a long time of like how worthless you are. You're such an idiot. You never get anything right. Oh my gosh, you're just like your mother. You know, you always do this. You have to ruin everything. And you're always nagging me. You just always have to start fights for no reason. You know, you're the problem. You need to see a therapist, you know? And so Jeez. this is what you've been hearing. So this is what ends up like, these are your thoughts. Mm -hmm. but they're actually not yours. They were manufactured, you know, by the narcissist. It is so crazy. <laughs> 
And I feel like it's warfare on like psychological warfare on such a inhumane level. Um, and I know for myself, like I had an experience last year with narcissistic abuse that I shared with you before. And I was like sick, like physically sick. I was experiencing a ton of gaslighting. Like you said, feeling like I was going crazy. I was waking up in the middle of the night, like wanting to throw up, um, dry heaving, uh, gagging. I was like lost so much weight. It was just like, my body was like exhausted. And I feel like I'm sure, especially after years of this, like when people are in marriages with a narcissistic partner, I literally can't even imagine the recovery, not only on the psychological level, like you're saying, like building the bricks back up of this structure that's been completely demolished by Mm -hmm. a partner. Um, but also rebuilding your physical health, which is demolished by them as well. Yeah. The body, um, and, and I know you've read that book, the body keeps the score. It's just such a, you know, amazing book. And it really just sums all of this up. It's just extraordinary how much, you know, like the body just, you know, it's, you know, the body is, there to, you know, heal and recover and protect you and keep you safe. I mean, you know, the mind and the body, it's like we are designed and wired and created to create safety and, you know, protection and um, survival because it goes back Mm -hmm. to survival, you know, if we don't feel safe. And so these relationships are not safe. None of them are. And, you know, this is what, this is another one of these uh, pivotal points of really what defines like when it's abuse versus, you know, something else, it's not safe. And mm-hmm. your body is picking up everything, even though your brain, you know, there's a disassociation, there's gaslighting or second guessing yourself. Um, you know, there's cognitive dissonance, you know, mm-hmm. and so, you know, you do have this sense of like blindedness really. Um, there's an extraordinary book, um, Jennifer Fry, I think she has a book on betrayal trauma and she talks about betrayal, uh, blindness where a woman could witness her husband having sex with another, like another woman or kiss another woman. And she sees it and he'll be like, Oh, I don't know who that was. And she'll believe him immediately. And it's like her eyes don't actually take it in. It's literally like she has blind like dissociation, total dissociation. It's like if somebody like covered you, so she's seen it, What? but there's a disconnection. So she doesn't, she sees it. She's not able to process it. And so, you know, it, it, it literally is like a blinder, but her body is still taking a snapshot mm. of this experience and it's remembering it. So this is why like Wow. You know, women so often, you know, I always, you know, ask them like, how do you feel around this person? Like, mm-hmm. you know, what emotions are you noticing? Like, you know, what sensations are you noticing? It keeps it's you so- alive, like while you're in it, like you need that. It absolutely does. Thank you for clarifying that. I think yeah. I did not say that. You are doing this for a reason. Your body and your brain is responding in this way to keep you safe it absolutely goes back to survival. It's a coping mechanism. And so when something is so scary and so terrifying, 
that you, you know, don't have the capacity to deal with a threat, you know, you, there is this like disassociation. And so it absolutely keeps you safe Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, uh, you know, safe to survive up until the point when you're trying to heal, where you're like, oh, I'm still disassociated. I'm still disconnected. So this is a big piece of the, you know, healing process is like, you know, um, nourishing that again. How do you nourish that? How do you reconnect that to, you know, your senses, your thoughts, feelings to, you know, presence, you know, I incorporate a lot of mindfulness, um, strategies too, of that sense of just presence. Like, what are you feeling? You know, what Mm -hmm. sensations, where in your body, you know, what does it feel like? What emotion, where in your body are you noticing this emotion? Um, what thoughts do you have just to, you know, you know, it's like this piecing everything back together, all this brokenness to feel whole again, you know? Yeah, not an easy undertaking after an experience like that. Um, One thing that came to mind too, that I just added to my notes when you were saying that is like, when it comes to these people in our lives that are, that we experience narcissistic abuse with, I think that something that I've experienced and I've seen is like a sense of protecting the abuser because I don't want to bring shame to the family. I don't want to seem X, Y, Z. I think I shared with you the book, I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. Mm -hmm. And that book was like such, felt like such an exhale for me because I was like, wow, she's not protecting. And I think even the last part of the book, it says something like, you know, we think of moms as saints, but why can't we just call it for what it is? And um, I think that's so brave. So like, what do you, have to say about just like this feeling of protecting abusers even after you're out of it like Mm -hmm. do you see that in your clients yes I do uh to a certain extent I think it does take a lot of time in the process of healing of you know peeling away at all of this and really understanding it and you know seeing things from a place of more like clarity and, you know, healthy. Um, You know, I think there is this piece where I think for a lot of, you know, no woman ever gets married to somebody or is in a long-term relationship knowing like, there's no way this is going to work out. This person Mm -hmm. is going to abuse me and, you know, there's no way this is going to work out. And so you have that hope that it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. And women, in a way, they're enablers to their partner when they're married. Otherwise, it would not work if you were not. At the same time, I want to caution your um, your listeners because you're out or maybe you've already left. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's listening to this podcast, like, you've already done something pretty courageous. It takes a lot of courage to make that decision or to be thinking about it or looking at it from this lens. And so, yes, we're all of us an enabler when we were, you know, with partner. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, I was 
I swear my picture is in the dictionary under enabler. <laughs> my picture's in there and, and denial. Um, I became so good at it. I mean, I would just make excuses for him all the time. I would even make excuses to people around us when he would come home late and sleep all day. I'm like, oh, he's just working so much, you know, always protecting him, always defending him, always looking at the good. And, you know, it's like, you just don't want to believe anything different because you're in denial. You've got your blinders on. It's just too painful. And you're coping. This is a way to cope. It's protecting you. And so I think when women are out of it, you know, and they're detached and maybe there's less contact, you know, or it's minimal or whatever, the more time that goes on in healing, it becomes less of a desire to protect anymore. And I think it's actually a big part of the healing when you know, like, okay, you are in a good place is when you it's almost like the opposite of that. You see everything so clearly, his tactics, and there's like no reaction anymore. Like there's very little trigger anymore because you're just like, oh, I know exactly what you're doing. You know, mm. multiple truths can be truthful at the same time. You know, one doesn't undo the other. So you can say, you know, I think for a lot of women, and, and, and I went through this for sure. Cause it's like, if I married, I chose to marry, you know, a screwed up dysfunctional narcissistic, you know, what does that make me, you know? And so it's like, no, that's not true. You could choose to marry somebody who is dysfunctional and narcissist abused you. And you didn't know that's okay. It has nothing to do with you. It's absolutely okay. It doesn't mean that, you know, you're a bad person or you should have seen this or anything like that. No, you didn't know. I don't have any regrets. It happened. I wouldn't be where I am today. And it's been a journey. I'm thankful for it, you know, and it's not a negative reflection on me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's actually a very uh, big piece of the healing when a woman is able to get to the place of like, look, I married this person. They did not turn out how I had hoped. They're very dysfunctional. They're a narcissist. Um, and um, <laughs> I forgot it again. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Okay. So when women are trying to protect them and defend against them, they're not that bad. They're not crazy or they're not a narcissist. It's not that bad. He had trauma in his history. I'm so sick of hearing that. His dad left him. His mom was not really around. He was bullied a lot. You know, he moved a lot. I could give two Fs. I don't care how much trauma somebody has. I hear horrific stories on my sofa of you know, my patient just terrible abuse by their parents, both parents, their whole life. They don't treat people like that. Mm. They are the most kind. And maybe I'm just biased because I love all my patients, but they are <laughs> the most kind, loving, self-reflective, compassionate, amazing people I've ever met. So it does not excuse it. I don't effing care if you were bullied a lot or your dad left you, I don't care. So when women go to this place, this is not helping anything. 
but they're doing this again to protect because multiple truths can be the truth at the same time. And so just because if you're protecting them, your side doesn't change anything. Like you're still here. And so he can be a bad person and that not have anything to do with you, but it doesn't make you a good person by protecting him and forcing him into this like person that he's not because of his choices and, and uh, decisions. So, so that's a great question. So grandiose and uh, covert, it's usually called vulnerable. I think I have covert on my Instagram. Do I, it's the same thing. Um, But so grandiose is what you see the vast majority of the time. I don't know what the percentage is. There hasn't really been a, you know, (laughs) these people are kind of hard to uh, research on because they're not going to take any polls, but I would say grandiose is definitely the vast majority of just people you would encounter, you know, ex-husbands, this is like the really like, you know, they are above the law. They, you know, just, you know, they're very, you know, superficial. They're very, um, you know, antagonistic, you know, they're very entitled. They really believe that they are better and more important than other people. So they, you know, treat others with contempt, you know, they're very callous, um, they, you know, they're like the person where, you know, you maybe walk into a bar or a restaurant and they're like talking to people and, you know, they put the charm on, they just think everybody thinks they're amazing. And so, um, you know, the grandiose ones I notice, you know, well, the malignants actually cause the most harm, but the grandiose is a lot more common, uh, with ex-husbands I notice. And these grandiose narcissists are very difficult to deal with when you're dealing with like custody battles and legal stuff and um just everything they are absolutely impossible to deal with so the vulnerable ones look a little bit different well actually a lot different in terms of you can have a vulnerable um narcissist that you like you have no idea because they're so good at like hiding their like tactics and you know what they do and so they i mean it really describes it they're really like a cover up of a narcissist they're not easy to spot yeah and huh well i i had this with my therapist i was telling her about someone in my life and she was like Callie cuz this is my issue is I I like attract narcissists and I make friends with narcissists and then I'm like oh dang it so I was telling her about this person in my life and she said Kelly they're a narcissist that's really narcissistic behavior and I said no 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 she she can't be a narcissist because she was always the victim and then as I said it I was like oh Mm. my god so do you feel like that's a covert total victimization so they are like they're like the opposite of the grandiose where like the grandiose are just like, I'm bigger than life. I'm better. I'm smarter. You're nothing. You know, they're very successful. Grandiose ones are very successful. They look good. They really, um, you know, they've got good jobs. They make a lot of money. Um, but the vulnerable ones, you know, it's like life just didn't work out for them. And so these are the ones where it's just kind of like, it's not fair. You know, they, you know, life's just, hasn't really, you know, been fair to me. Everything, you know, goes wrong. Nobody really, you know, the world just doesn't understand how amazing I am and talented and capable. 
you know, they just don't get it. You know, it's like they haven't really had their, you know, um, success in life. And they really take this lens of they are absolutely a victim all the time. It's like, poor me. Life just hasn't worked out. You know, everything has gone wrong. It's not fair. You know, everyone's been mean to me. And they're just very almost like depressive at times, mm-hmm. but they can hide it too, because they don't have the typical kind of grandiose antagonistic, um, you know, tactics. It looks different. So they can kind of hide it. It might, if you were around somebody, it might kind of look like maybe a little bit more of like a mental health, you know, issue or something lack of motivation, you know, or whatnot. They go through relationships, you know, a lot, maybe like jobs. It's just like, life just is not fair. Um, did oh I, God. you're like totally describing that person too. I'm like, oh, so, so one of my favorite ones is the communal narcissist. Oh, yes. yeah. yeah. So yeah. the communal one is a really interesting one to me. Um, I think just for personal reasons. Um, but, um, so the communal is like the one who, um, so they're like, so these are the ones who are like the, um, uh, maybe like a humanitarian, they go to like adoption clinics, they'll like, you know, help out at dog rescue places. They're into like foster care. So they'll go to maybe like events or, you know, uh, fundraisers. And they're all like, you look, you know, save the animals, you know, we're going to save the animals. Like don't eat any meat, don't eat fish. Let's just save the world. Let's go green. You know, this like Yogi, you know, and they're right there taking all these pictures on Instagram and they'll post it. You know, these are like the spiritual um, teachers. I see a fair amount about a fair amount in spiritual practices in the higher up people where they're like a God to them. And everyone's just like, Oh my gosh, such a good place for a narcissist to be right. Totally. Or in a church setting, a religious setting, you know, very high up. And so how do they, so they get their validation because everyone around them, I met somebody um, recently whose husband, um, oh, works for safaris. He's like a really big, like safari, um, you know, saves animals. He's all about the lions, you know, takes pictures of, you know, you know, snakes and zebras and, oh my gosh, he just lives outside and everything. And I was like, wow, that's actually a creative, like subset of communal because that's not as common but they get their validation because everyone's like oh my gosh they care about animals and children and foster care and going green but then they have this other face in their life how they treat other people or their spouse or their family or their friends where it truly is like a completely different person and so they end up getting away with so much more So the communals can be pretty, like, especially in larger group, you know, spirituality, religions, things like that. um, They can cause a lot of harm and damage because people, you know, again, for the enablers, they're like, but he's so amazing. Look at that. Did you see that picture on Instagram? He's there with like a zebra and he's like feeding, you know, wild animals outside and he's, you know, cares about the earth and you know, he's, you know, doesn't eat meat. I mean, how could somebody like that be a bad person, you know? And so it's so 
anyways, the communals are interesting because they really kind of, they almost have like societal enablers, mm -hmm. like really big groups of people where they're like, they're amazing. And then their spouse at home is like, I'm scared of you. <laughs> I swear I saw this all the time in the church too that I grew up in was like, I would go to people's homes that were like pastors or whatever. And they were like cheating on the wives, um, having multiple affairs, uh, verbal abuse at home, like all of these things. But they were like the pastor of a church and people were like, pastor, blah, he's so amazing. And it's like, he's literally scary when he's not at church and speaking of enablers and um there's a difference between enablers and flying monkeys which I had never heard the term flying monkeys before your Instagram but when I saw that video I was like oh my god like, I know, like eight people in my life who are flying I, monkeys now literally I'm like <laughs> mapping people out I'm like yeah. oh it's so validating to learn about this stuff so can you talk on that so uh, enablers and, and anybody, any of your listeners who are in a relationship like this, thinking about it or already left, you probably have lots of enablers. Probably the majority of the people in your life is my guess. That's kind of actually what I notice is like when people are, you know, through their healing and they're able to identify this and the toxicity and they're trying to clean house, they're like, wow, I don't really have anybody left anymore, you know, cause like mm -hmm. everybody is an enabler or a flying monkey. So an enabler is almost like on an umbrella. Okay. And flying monkey is, a, um, um, what's the word? Like a, like a subset, like a subset of an enabler. So enablers are like, um, people, I think they're, I noticed that they're, you know, is at times maybe like an innocence to it. Uh, they really like are not aware. They definitely don't get it. You know, these are like the therapists, the shrinks that are like, just use I statements. Um, you know, they just, they maybe mean well, but they don't get it. Mm -hmm. And so they're, you know, usually like really try to be like very positive. And so their approach and their intention is to, you know, let's just keep, so things that you might hear is like, let's just keep the peace. You know, he didn't mean that just rise above, you know, just rise above and be the bigger person, be the stronger person, just forgive and forget, you know, things are going to get better. You know, everyone deserves a second chance. Everyone has good in them. Everyone can change. It's fine. I'm like it's, literally it's, getting yeah. triggered. <laughs> just yeah, he didn't, you know, he really, there, uh, there must be a misunderstanding. I know there they must really be love you. Yes. They, you know, he would never do that. He really does love you. So there must be a misunderstanding. And so, you know, it, it just, so I noticed that enablers, you know, and these were like, for example, my, my, um, ex-in-law, like, well, actually both of them, but they are like huge enablers to the point where I'm just like, I can't even listen to your voice anymore because it was so effing annoying but it was just like he would never do that like you know and again it's like his parents so I get it but I noticed this theme of like it could be an in-law or it could be like friends of the family or aunts uncles you know other people surrounding them where they just don't see it and so they and so you end up feeling very maybe um irritated annoyed 
angry, um, frustrated, you know, maybe you want to just like shake this person and slap them or something. Cause you're just like, wake up, their eyes. wake up, yeah. <laughs> you know, but flying monkeys are dangerous. Flying monkeys are toxic. Flying monkeys are, you know, people after you've left a relationship or even before, it doesn't matter, but maybe, um, you know, you have like a sister and a niece who you were super close to and your ex knows this because he's known them for 15 years or whatever, and you get a divorce or you've already left and he starts forming a relationship with your sister and your um, niece. And so it's triangulation essentially. And so rather than the relationship between you and your sister and your niece, it's a triangulation, which is another abusive tactic that um, narcissists use all the time. So then you have your ex who now has a relationship with your sister and um, uh, niece. And so if you look at, so it's called tri triangulation, because if you imagine a triangle at the top, like, no, sorry. So if it was just you and maybe your sister and niece, like, you know, at the bottom together, it's equal, you know, it's like back and forth. But when it's a triangle, now the narcissist is at the top. He has full control. And so they're so creative and savvy. I, I would love to be in a live like flying monkey um, conversation to see how they do it, but they just know exactly what to say. And so they as essentially enlist these people, your sister and niece, where they essentially work for the narcissist to create harm to you, to abuse you, to, and so this could be like getting information for you. This could be like jumping on a smear campaign. This could be like spreading more rumors. So any shit talking that the narcissist says to your sister and niece, and they're like, what? Oh my gosh. And so there's oftentimes very little interaction with the flying monkey and um, the victim because they just are kind of getting enough information, like doing their deed to bring it back to the narcissist. Because it's always been very confusing to me. It's like, so the narcissist is so creative at manipulating these flying monkeys to where they almost in a way think that they like might be helpful. If it happens again, then be like, hmm, maybe it might be time I start distancing myself. Maybe it's not, you know, it's not time to lose contact or cut them off, that's fine. But at least remember it, protect yourself. Don't share any information, like have them a limited amount of time, mm -hmm. you know, in your life, try to, you know, but um, they're really very dangerous, toxic people. They can cause a lot of harm because if you think about it, these are people that are close to you. They know everything about you. They know all of your history. They know everything about you. So the narcissist has a huge advantage to using these people to harm you, to get whatever he's wanting from it because they know everything about you. And who better could cause you harm or abuse you or isolate you or make you feel rejected more than your absolute closest friends and family who you need so much if you're trying to heal from a relationship like this? You know, like one narcissist could not cause this much isolation because I've already detached, you know? So it's like, but the smear campaigns are really, I hear this a lot. Um, so get off social media, um, deactivate your account, 
stop talking to these um, flying monkeys. Use the same strategies you would with uh, when you realize this is a narcissist and you're, or, you know, or maybe you're still in the marriage. You disconnect. You don't engage. You uh, don't ever explain yourself. Don't ever defend yourself. Do not, I can't stress this enough, do not ever go to a flying monkey and try to explain yourself. You have nothing to explain. You didn't do anything. They are. And they are very toxic. So maybe it's a better option them not having, you know, not being in your life or estrangement or something. Um, if that's the better option, it's not usually fun. And, you know, it's a very painful decision, but sometimes you just have to, if yeah. that's what it takes, because you cannot trust these people and they've clearly shown who they are, what they're capable of. I mean, that's just absolutely insane to me to of somebody you, who supposedly like loves you and trusts completely betrays you. I mean, it's so painful, but the enablers, I just want to comment, um, the enablers, um, they're a little bit different in the sense of like, you know, I, I can't really say that they're like toxic or bad or anything like or that. Maybe just a little dissociated from the reality of what's happening or they don't have enough information or. Yeah. Or maybe there's a little bit more, um, you know, extreme ones too. You know, I think a lot of times, um, with, women and they're in complete denial of it. Like they, they are, I mean, I know exactly what they're experiencing now. They are in complete denial. So it's like, they just kind of want to keep this family dynamic, just quiet, just keep everything in place and running smooth. Everybody deserves a second chance. It's okay. Just rise above. Forgive and forget. That's my thoughts. Mm-hmm. I hate that one the most. Rise above. I do a lot of trauma. You know, be the bigger person. I, I hate those. I hate that. I, I, um, for anyone listening, I actually bought Justine some socks that say fuck off. Because <laughs> we're like, that's a mantra. Like, I have socks that say fuck off. Sometimes instead of rise above, forgive and forget, you just need to say fuck off. Yes. It's like so empowering. And thank you. Yeah. As we're kind of like rounding out the episode. Um, how can people work with you and how can people find resources if they are listening to this and they're like, oh shit, (laughs) I might be in a narcissistic partnership. Um, what do you suggest and how can people work with you and find you? Sure. So I have a, um, I'm on all the social media now that I have an amazing social media company. I'm so good to like follow Justine because her, Social media has all of this information and videos. So thank you. And I, you know, I really owe it to my social media company. They're just amazing bringing this content and information to live where it's like, you know, I don't know, just really helpful, like quick videos where you can kind of get an understanding. I mean, this is really like one of the most important thing that anybody could ever do is if you're like questioning anybody listening to this is going to either be questioning it, you're in it, you've left, something like that. So get the information out there. And so go on YouTube, uh, go on social media. There's so much helpful free information. There's, um, there's uh, you know, uh, courses that you can purchase, um, you know, just to learn about all of this. My website is for my coaching. It's Dr. Justine Weber with one B, D-R-J-U-S-T-I-N-E-W-E-B-E-R. And, um, you can go on and just, um, select like a 30 minute, 
um, you know, free consultation to see if we'll be a good fit. Um, but working with a mental health professional or a coach, some professional who is knowledgeable in this is necessary. It is a must. You know, this is an investment on your well-being and for the rest of your life. And so I know it can be expensive and costly, but working with a professional who understands this is like really key because you need that sounding board to walk you through this. You cannot do this alone. I wish there were these resources when I was going through all of this myself. I learned the hard way and it took a really long time, but there's, you know, if you're not able to get a professional, you know, a therapist or a coach or somebody, then, you know, read lots of books, um, join different, um, there's, um, I can post it actually in your link, but there's two websites that I would recommend where women can actually go on for free and join a group in their area like a where support they can connect group. with other women. Yeah. And I'm kind of forgetting them, but I'll list it in, I can send you a text, but I always recommend for my clients who you just need support. You need to be around other women, ladies, people who have gone through this, who are in it who understand you need to talk about this, you know, um, get it out. The more you talk about it and understand and connect with other people, this is the validation, you know, then it's like, oh, okay. You know, this is, you know, I'm not, you know, everyone, you know, kind of goes through this and this is painful. Like we can do it together, you know, and so it can be incredibly healing connect, but joining a, a ladies group, like once a week is a great idea for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. And I would definitely recommend anyone who is looking to work with someone one-on-one, -on -one, get someone who has an understanding of this because I've had experiences where I go to professionals that are not versed in narcissistic abuse and it's actually re-traumatizing. So Justine, Dr. Weber is a great person to work with and anyone who is certified or has some kind of understanding of this kind of work. So thank you so much for joining. Any last thoughts before... Um, I don't know. I, I guess just hang in there. It does get better. I promise you. Yeah. I mean, there's absolutely light at the end of the tunnel. These women that I work with are just absolutely incredible. And once they've like healed and they're, you know, this is like really behind them and they feel whole again, these women are rocking it mm -hmm. in life. I must say just so much love, you know, purpose, meaning, deep connections, you know, there's just strong, loving, kind women, you know, I mean, their life is so much better, so much better after this than it was before, because they're just, you know, it's like they really, um, you know, really uh, grow all of their strengths and their values, even more so because of this trauma that they've been through. So mm -hmm it is actually a good thing, even if it doesn't feel like that yeah. <laughs> right now. Well, thank you so much for joining. Of course. Thanks for having me. That's all for today for the Your Own Medicine podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, these episodes do come out pretty sporadically, so if you'd like to be notified each time a new episode comes out, please subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. 
Um, And you can always follow my journey along, which I always post when a new episode comes out on my social media, TikTok and Instagram, at Kelly Klug Yoga. And feel free to keep in touch. You can also check out my website at kaliklugyoga.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.